Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Rincon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast today. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon. And today on the podcast, we have Mr. Les McDaniel. Les, here's a little background on him. Uh, He's an amazing human. He's uh, 48 years of age, 27 years married to his lovely wife, Heatherly, four children, and a bonus son-in-law. He's very competitive. I first met him at the Front Row Dads event at one of our retreats, where he taught me the ways of the Trader Joe's sliced mangoes. He's also in the exchange community as a facilitator. And Les is such an incredible human being. In this discussion, we're gonna go deep in a number of places. He is someone who's truly overcome many challenges. Some of those challenges, if you can imagine, he was a boy growing up named Leslie. If that doesn't say at all right there, uh, he is uh, not as tall as the average human. So he grew up shorter, a little bit smaller with the name Les. So just imagine that being the place we start. You know, there was opportunities with bullies in school and he uh, chronicles part of that in our discussion. Also, his wife had a stroke. That was an incredibly challenging time in both their lives and how they came back together from that. He chronicles that in our discussion as well. Uh, one thing that you should know about Les is that he's a very humble person, so he won't talk about himself with great accolades. And I will, I will gladly share a couple of his accolades. When he was in real estate, he was uh, involved in one of the largest corporate real estate deals uh, in the history of his organization. This is back in Texas a number of years ago. And, So he's had massive success in real estate. He also now uh, is uh, a coach, and I'll lead you to his website and he'll give you some information on how to connect with him. Les is just an amazing human being. He's a a great person to to listen to challenges because he's got a great great heart for loving and caring about all people. Some things we talk about today on the discussion, if you can name the problem, understand the solution. He likes to ask a lot of questions to get to understand exactly what it is that the problem is before he tackles it. When you're having chaos, make something of it. The less is someone who doesn't sit still. He likes to continue to take positive action towards you know, whatever it is the objective is. Uh, he believes going headfirst into your fears. He chronicles his story today in the podcast. He's always open and he's always willing to be curious. So get ready, buckle your seats in for uh, a shallow dive at first and it gets deep fast in this discussion. This is a, a truly amazing human being I love very much. His name's Les McDaniel. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. My friend, uh, Les McDaniel. Good morning, Les. Good morning, sir. How are you, coach? 
We are fantastic today. It is great to have you on. I've been looking forward to this for some time. You're one of my favorite people in the universe, so no pressure. Uh, let's have a good time today. How the heck are you today, my friend? You know, I am. I'm doing pretty well today. You know, life is life is just a uh, wonderful roller coaster ride that I enjoy. I just I, I'm finding ways to find joy in almost all circumstances. Getting to do stuff like this with you makes it even all the more fun. Ah, ah, well, you're too kind. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper and just kind of get right into it right away. When you say that you're finding joy and you're able to find circumstances and find joy in the circumstance, what do you mean by that? What's an example? Oh my goodness, there's so many different examples, but I think that we live in a world that has has a desire to live in one of two dualities. It's good and bad, or uh, right versus wrong, or joy versus sadness. And there's this real struggle that I think that our world has and that I'm dealing with in my own life, which is, you know, my wife has got chronic myeloid leukemia. You know, I've just recently kind of discovered that some of the my past traumas in my own life are not totally fully healed. And yet there's, there's not a resistance in me to wanting to welcome that challenge, to welcome her, her cancer, to really begin to dive into what that looks like. Well, we're jumping right in, aren't we? But the, I'll tell you that one of the, I was listening to uh, Ram Das this morning. He has this saying that is, all suffering is showing you is where your mind is still clinging. And the idea for me is very much that that is a deep rooted thing within me that I recognize that anytime that I feel sad or I'm suffering and it's, and you can even be suffering in joy, honestly, but anytime I feel that what is really going on deep within me is this thing that I'm holding on to, this idea of what life should be, as opposed to the reality that is present at this particular stage in my life. You know, we have a lot of things going on besides that. We got, you know, my, my son is leaving uh, the nest, if you will, and he's the last of my four kids to leave the nest uh, this summer. And there's this sense of excitement that comes along with that and a sense of sadness. So it's like there's both of these things walking hand in hand at all times in our world. There's never a situation where something is completely joyful. It's always letting go of something in order to gain something. And so I, I think the joy for me is living kind of as best as I can and, and imperfectly with an open hand, not with closed fists tightly held so that, you know, onto whatever it is that I think I should have, but just being open to what what is ever next. And and it is it is a, you know, it's literally like a roller coaster where you're rising to the top of that roller coaster and you start to grip onto the rails. And then there's a sense in which you finally, you get over that, that hump and the joy comes and all of a sudden you can start to feel your hands lift up in the air and feel that joy of that freedom, just that free fall and knowing that, oh, this is great. I know that everybody feels that way about it. Well, you crap. went deep, fast, Les. Uh, wow. I didn't even ask the question about what are, what are the challenges that you've overcome in your life. You just went straight into one. And uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Right. That's where joy is. So how, how else could I describe it? You know? <laughs> Well, I, I think that a lot of people, that might be a foreign concept of, you know, this is a great challenge. This is something that has a potential for a lot of pain. It, it, it is a lot of pain when you say your wife and you say cancer, you know, that certainly brings up kind of a queasy feeling in my stomach. It feels painful even to even talk about that. And your next statement afterwards is around, you know, being able to find the joy in things. And I'd, I'd love to just back up for a second since you you took the ball and ran with it, man. But let's back up a second. And I'd love to outline you know, some of these challenges that you've had in your life what they've taught you and, and how you've gotten to this place where you are in your life right now. So could you back up for a second and share with us, what are some of the, the challenges you faced? Let's kind of deconstruct what they've taught you and, and how you've maintained joy throughout. I mean, it is a deep subject. And, and I, I really, I, I've been on this journey of, of depth, if you will, for quite some time. And it's, 
and so it's it's really kind of hard, especially considering that even recently I've I've ran come into a group of guys that have just been really supportive of me. Not to mention the front row dads. That's another group of guys that's been incredibly supportive to me. My life hasn't hasn't been a bowl of cherries or whatever whatever the great sayings are that it's always easy. I've been very blessed, but it's blessed because of how I think I've decided to look at life, my quest of, in pursuit of how I want to see the world versus what maybe is really playing out is probably where that comes in. I've never been a kid. I mean, even as a kid, I should say, I was never someone who just was like status quo. I was, I was born into this world, a runt named Leslie. <laughs> that's where, <laughs> that's where it kind of starts. That's where it began right there. Less. I mean, you, you, you know, you are born and you're the smallest kid in your class for years and years and years. You're, you're on the first day of school, your teacher says, Leslie McDaniel. And you're like, shit. That's me. And then, you know, it's less, it's less and, and like less is much better. I mean, that's the complete opposite of more and, you know, big, it's not necessarily something that we always think of as positive in our worlds, but it created in me a deep curiosity around people and how to navigate that world where I didn't get my butt handed to me every day by bullies. And so I learned how to befriend them. I learned how to, how to connect with each and every person that was in my world and how to, how to survive and thrive in many ways, just as a result of that. You know, I, I was a, a funny kid, um, probably more out of, I was able to take the jokes first and foremost. And then I learned how to start to create a world where I could make people laugh. My teachers laugh. I was kind of the class clown that they loved, but it also came with a lot of struggle. You know, I had, I had some, um, I've had many a times where I was raised in the church and the church was, I always took things that were in scripture very literally. I really felt deep down in my soul that we were supposed to live this particular way that Jesus lived. And at that time, that's all I really knew was this particular way of like, this is how we live. And I would ask questions and I would, and they were the you know basic ones like, well, why isn't that homeless guy coming to church with us? And and wait, isn't that homeless guy our neighbor? Shouldn't we love him too? And, or I would, I would just try to understand, you know, people and why they would do things the way they would do them. And, and I would know people that were seemed really good on the outside, but I could hear the, the this judgment that would sometimes come from the inside that that sounded like, yeah, but they, they kind of have to do certain things and conform to certain patterns. Well, that made me a target too. You know, that made me a little bit of a target because I was always trying to find ways to open the door to people. And and when it felt like... Uh, well, no, Les, if, you could, if I could interrupt you for a sec, when you say it made you a target too, can you think back to a, an incident or a time where there was a bully or where you were a target, uh, something that maybe the audience can relate to in the moment. Can you describe that for us? I'm trying to, let me see if I can go back in way back. And for those of you listening right now, Les, he is not that old. I believe Les, how, you, you're right about 45 right now, I believe. I appreciate that. 48, 48. I, I don't know. Let me see if I can go. I haven't thought about one that goes way back, but you know, I, I, there were many times in my life where I, I found myself standing up for people that, that were in the midst of getting bullied. I do have one. I do have one. You know, one of my good friends, one of my best friends when I was in high school, decided he thought it would really be a good idea to get in a fight with a guy who was a quasi gangster and was a part of a gang in, in the wonderful West Texas town of Abilene, Texas. You know, I was like, what in the world are you doing? And so I knew what we were getting into. I knew this guy. I knew who was going to be showing up to this fight. And I'm like, I'm going to go with you. And we're not going to end up fighting. I showed up and, you know, I looked at the situation and I saw one guy over here who was uh, who had a uh, a particular sawed off type weapon in his trench coat, which was just like hilarious that he thought he was hiding it. Several others who were packing and the guy who was about to fight who had a knife. And I, I just literally looked at all these guys and I'm like, guys, here's the deal. None of this is going to go down for the good for anyone. 
you know, you, this guy, you who's got your gun, you're going to pull it out and then what? You're going to, you're going to kill and shoot and over what? Two guys who are just trying to settle with something that's a disagreement about some girl or whatever it was at that particular time. And the irony of it was, is that I was both their, the friends of these guys that were also gangsters. Cause I told you I, I learned this way of being able to, to manage that. And I was also the friends with this other, my best friend, you know, and how did they take that? How did the gang, quasi gangsters take it when you said this? Like, what are they looking like right now? When I appealed to reason, <laughs> literally, they they were they were all kind of like, oh, oh yeah, you know, I guess that makes sense. And uh, in the end, there was some yelling, there was some screaming, that everybody left, and it became nothing, and nobody fought, nobody swung a punch, and it and it was that way. And I would put myself in that place pretty regularly in in defense of not just the person like my it wasn't just about my best friend it was about all of us in that moment and i mean looking back it's like that was just stupid right <laughs> it was like why would you show up to a gang fight where there're going to be guns and knives with nothing except for your words well maybe i mean maybe you're 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 young you're in high school you you have this idealism you want to stand up for people stand up for the little guy stand up for your friends by the way you are the little guy uh, and you're standing up for everyone so you had this huge heart and and you want to do good let's keep moving. So you go through high school. We, we get a, a sense of who you are as a human. Uh, you've got a huge heart. What are some of the challenges that are coming in the next decade of your life in, in the 20s? What's next? I mean, in, in my twenties, you know, I was a, a good Christian kid. I'd kind of conformed to a lot of things. You know, I was I was this kid who had actually uh, when I th- and I got married young. I mean, I got married when I was twenty one years old, and so I've been married twenty seven years now, or almost twenty seven years. I had an amazing world with her, but and we were very involved in church at that particular juncture and. I was literally, I remember knocking on some of the people's doors when they wouldn't show up for Wednesday night service and having this kind of gentle conversation about don't forsake the assembly and all this other kind of stuff that's pretty hilarious and conservative. But but still within me was this reading of of this great story and learning about the, this unbelievable mercy and grace. And as I started to do that, we started to work with people that were odd. At the same time my wife was pregnant, we had a pregnant drug addict who moved in with us and we helped her, you know, along that path just by loving her and just, just being there for her, helping her get into a house at one point. And, you know, all of it was, it, it was good and it was meaningful. There was all the, a lot of things around that, that were just unique about how the church responded, which was not necessarily always the way that I thought or should be, uh, versus the reality, which was that, you know, you, when you help people, it doesn't mean that they're going to turn out exactly like you hope. It doesn't mean that they're going to flip a switch and all of a sudden be good people or conform to the the way that we think that I think it should look, what social standards are and all that kind of stuff. And it was just that was one of the many conversations that I've had over the years with people that were different than myself and learning how to love people and realizing that some of their choices don't make them bad, that that we are all just kind of products of, of our of our upbringing, of our circumstances, and that it's not easy. And that and in that, it, it started to well up in me, like, what does this mean for us to be loving? What does it mean to love our neighbors, to love our enemies? Like, what, is this, what does all this mean to really begin to love people no matter what, no matter where they're at? And I, and I was radical in some ways about that and very defensive of those who were underrepresented in our world. And it's just such a deep thing for me that that uh, has been a problem in my own mind because it's it it leads me to be in in many ways looked at like that those who are underrepresented and I don't like that because I, I my family and you know it it would be like literally my family my my parents if if I was to say hey I really like this you know I want to love this other person that's out here on the fringes 
and bring them into our home. And, and my parents be like, well, we don't want them here for Christmas or Thanksgiving. That's, that's not what we do. And it's not that they aren't loving or wanting to be that for those people. It's just that it breaks, breaks them out of their mold of what it's supposed to, they have created. And it makes us all uncomfortable and it's always messy, you know, the way it has been for many points of my life. And it drove me to actually go back and get my master's of divinity at uh, Abilene Christian because I was just so tired of feeling like I was this oddball and how I was viewing things. That was good and amazing and empowering. And at the same time, it just created, a, 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 in many ways, a greater distance between myself and those who, because uh, it, it, it literally was like, yes, we are supposed to live this way, or we have the opportunity to live this way. It's not that we were supposed to. We can be those who provide that in the world. Well, it sounds to me like you are, in this time in your life, in your 20s, you still have this place of love. And I say still, because you still have it today, too. Like, this is, this is the, the core theme of you is love, is what I'm feeling. And even when this ideal of love is something that others around you that are close to you, that are important to you, even though they may not see it the exact same frame, you're willing to be uncomfortable because you believe so strongly in it. And it, it has presented challenges because others don't see it the same frame that you do. And, and I'm, I'm just willing to be curious. I mean, I think, I think I've just, I don't know who it was that told me when I was younger that there's nothing that I can do to shake God, to change God or to change the creator or whatever you want to call this source that, that of all things, this thing that does what it does. And I can't break that. And, and the more that I, I, I felt free to do that, the more it, it, it both sort of made me feel sometimes like an outsider, which wasn't true. It just is what it made me feel like. Because my curiosity often made created fear in others because of they, you know, we we as humans, we want to be, we want to belong. We want that space of feeling like we we belong somewhere. And when when we start building that belonging around belief systems that are always shifting, always changing, it creates a little bit of uncertainty that we don't want. We want to be certain about this afterlife thing or whatever it might be. And we're willing to forego even happiness now, which is the most bizarre thing. We're, we're, we're willing to take on hell on earth for an eternity in heaven, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word. This is sounding awfully spiritual and religious and, and everything is spiritual in my book, but I don't mean to be religious in this. This is life. Like, the, the essence of life is is fundamentally grounded in our ability to understand the tensions that we live in. And when we start to think that there is some way for us to capture a secure life in some form of understanding of God or defining God or a defining community or whatever, we start to alienate ourselves and others from what it truly means to be human, to be truly uh, one with cre with creation and with God. I mean, we do this in all sorts of ways. I mean, look at the West compared to the East. You know, we call the East woo and the West is what? What are we dogmatically entrepreneurial, driven to success and driven to these other things? These are all related to this very question of, you know, what it means to love one another. And, and when we are, the more we separate ourselves into the mindset of creating our identity around certain beliefs or around certain practices, the more we start to create a world that separates us from the fullness that of joy that we really want to experience. I'll give you one example of one more example. Like when I want to, when I seek security and I build up walls around myself and I have enough money and enough savings in a, in a great business and you know, all these things, the first thing that I have to do is I have to set security systems up, security cameras. I need to arm myself and I need to find ways to create 
to maintain that security. That's not that's not security. That that means I'm insecure. It means that I have to have all these things in order to be okay. And so it's the very thing that when we create that security that we think we want, we're in the, at the very same moment we are embracing the fullness of insecurity because now we don't want to lose it. We're, it's that holding on tight to the things that we that we have without a flexibility for something else to come along. And so that's suffering. We create, it's minor and it may be luxuriously suffering. It may be all sorts of things, but it's still suffering because we have this fear of losing what we've gained. Well, I'm following everything and I'm jumping from lily pad to lily pad with you here. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, how I'm suffering with some of the luxuries. I don't want to lose them. Right. Uh, and, I, but I don't have all the, you know, the, the heavy artillery and, and security system to keep them here. So part of me wants to have a divergent thought here, but I'm not sure how to approach it because I, I feel, uh, right now that everything you've shared, I feel like if love is what you're seeking, are you telling me that that is something that we can lose? And that is something that because we're seeking love, we're suffering. I think that I think it's uh, it's more along and, and I'm thinking in an extremes because a lot of times the only way to really capture the full essence of something is in extremes. If I have a stranglehold on my wife and I won't let her out of my sight and I have to be by her side at all times and I want her wherever I go, is that love? Is that meaning if I if I'm if I'm so bent on being it being secure in my my relationship with my wife that I have to hold on to it, is that love? Or is it loving when I can be trusting and I can let that go and I can let my wife be who she is and explore life on her terms and not have to see eye to eye on every single thing that's going on in my world, but still be able to embrace her and love her despite our differences or maybe because of our differences and allow that to flourish because that is what true relationship is. We experience this in front row dads. You know, it's this idea of the ability to the the yes and. It's our ability to sit with one another despite our differences and love one another. Now, imagine if we started to to raise up ideas or ideologies around front row dads that says it looks like this and it has to be this way. The moment that we start doing that is the moment that we actually start pushing people out because they're not conforming to the way that we want it to be. And or we're and we're, we're starting to huddle around certain ideals of what it looks like. Then we're always trying to create boxes around that so that we can find ways to protect the identity that we're raising up within that as the way of being. And that's not freedom. That's not loving. It's loving is is the idea that it, when it rains, it rains on the good and it rains on the evil. Well, so let me rein it back in here to summarize what I just feel that I, I put some dots together here uh, with your mentality of being curious and being open to what's happening next and the whatever's coming, yes, and being inclusive. With that, uh, love can take any form. You know, And I, I appreciate the way that you made that distinction for us because love could look this way to some person over here. It could be uh, you know, being very close and and having that the, the day-by-day connection where you are texting each other back and forth all the time. It can be very tight like that, or it can be very open and what you would what you would call trusting where we don't need to do that. It can be any way it needs to be for anyone. So it's it's curiosity, it's yes and just to differentiate a little bit on that is that I think that the idea of when, when we have to hold on to something and we have to place our identity in it and it actually keeps someone else from being free to be who they are, I wouldn't call that the definition of love. In fact, it's what we would call abuse in most, most relationships when we, when it's now the texting back and forth and the, you know, the intimacy that, that, that we can create and how that plays out is, is totally free. But it's when we start having a stranglehold on something, when we start trying to control the behaviors and the, and the, and the way that somebody else does and lives this life, 
that we it gets on the edge of first and foremost not loving ourselves because we're not able to we're not able to love ourselves or see ourselves outside of something that exists outside of us that person and it keeps us from truly uh, expressing that fullness of what it means to to be messy forgiveness caring for one another in compassion and i think we just have to be careful in our world of i mean this is why we have such a split in our world right now matt is that you know we we have this idea that it has to be everything has to be completely right or wrong and then everybody has their definition of what that looks like and that's not very loving and we can see that play out in the way things happened on january 6th of what was it 20 which happens to be my birthday by the way it's like a, a sad thing to, to see play out on your birthday but you know what on at the capitol where where people are raising up and ready to go and take over you know something about that that's built on ideologies belief systems as though we know and there's just this lever there's this place in our world where we we begin to have to understand that we don't know everything and we don't have all the answers and that there, it's going to be messy and my marriage is going to have ups and downs. We're going to fight and then we need to forgive and then we need to have intimacy and then we need to, you know, and we have this cycle of things. And over time that begins to, that's freedom. It's the freedom for it to go to all the different places it needs to go in order for it to continue to grow and be and, and be what it truly needs to be. I mean, I think you would probably agree with me. I want my wife to be happy. And if I ever am in the reason why she is not truly able to find joy in this world, and I am limiting her in any way, at least for me, I, I want I want her to be free from me. I want her to be free to be able to leave. And it's in that where the excitement and joy of life comes. That's the roller coaster ride. It's the, I don't know if this is going to be able to make it. It's the uncertainty of, is this, is this going to go off the rails? That's where true life happens. It's in that tension between the what you know, the good and the bad. So, so in that tension between the good and the bad, where love can happen, where joy or sadness can happen, what you are sharing in your message overall is that in that space of that duality, that's where life is. That's where the true joy can be found. And there's going to be sadness too. You're going to have both. There, there's no middle ground that we should be seeking. We should be able to accept that joy or that sadness and live life with love. And this is where the challenge comes in. Seeking the middle ground is probably where, or the overlap of life. How can we fall into this place of recognizing the, the I don't knows instead of making bold claims of everything we think we know? You know, it's, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a practical example and, and yet it gets really hairy, which is part of the challenge of being that I face is that most of the time I want to deal with the heavy, heavy, hard hitting issues. It sounds like it because you've gone pretty deep. Yeah, no, I mean, I do. I've told you, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to swim in shallow waters. I, I, I really have struggled with that. <laughs> well, let's let's bring it back to something you shared that was very, I mean, potential for great emotion in the very beginning. I mean, it kind of got me welled up thinking about it. The first thing that came out of your mouth earlier was you were talking about this challenge of finding out your wife has cancer, and you know, that's something that. Um, you know, we've never talked about before. I'd love to, uh, if you're comfortable with it, I'd love to kind of dive into that. What are we facing right now with that? What's the challenge and what's what's it teaching you now, Les? On the one hand, I have to recognize that, you know, it's not that the cancer is not something I'm personally struggling with. And so when I say this and I'm talking about my wife, there are some very real emotions. She may not be in the same place as I am or and vice versa. She's got challenges and and yet she's got some comforts around that that I don't have. So, you know, my my way of dealing with this is is 
uh, honestly, to just be listening. And I know that she has struggled deeply with this. And thankfully, this is not um, a death sentence. This is chronic myeloid leukemia is something that is very treatable. It's a bone marrow situation where it just can make all sorts of pain and inflammation occur. And, and so she's just been in a lot of pain. And this is after in 2016, having had a stroke. And so she's no, we are together. We are no uh, strangers to suffering. She has had her share of the one who's dealt with it mostly physically, and that, which has created emotional traumas as well. And, but when it comes to how this has played out is thankfully, which is a funny thing to say as well, after the stroke, we saw what, the, what kind of teacher it was. We saw how life's curriculum transitioned for us into what is, what is life teaching us? And it drew us closer. It's helped her appreciate the, um, the goodness of life in ways that I think a lot of people miss when, they, when everything seems to be easy, when everything physically seems to be going well. She is incredibly driven by health herself and always has been. And I mean, I remember when she woke up from the stroke, for example, the first words out of her mouth, and I didn't know what I was going to wake up to, what, was the question of what did I do wrong? She had a stroke. And her first questions are, what did I do wrong? And, and I think that we live in a world where there's this perception that we have to do all these things particularly right, and that there's some particular right way to live life, and that when we experience something that is like suffering or consequences or crisis, that we have done something wrong, rather than just understanding that life, life just has kind of got a, its own, life has got its own life. <laughs> its own life. Les, what did, you, uh, what did you say when she asked you that question? I just, I just got up and hugged her and was just thrilled to hear her voice because I literally didn't know what I was going to wake up to that, that morning. It was like five in the morning. And, and so I think there was just an appreciation. So I just told her, man, you did nothing wrong. We have no idea why this has occurred and we're going to figure it out and we're going to work through this. And, and we did. And it was a journey. And it's the same thing now. You know, so there's a lot, of, a lot of questions about what's the right path for treating this cancer. And there is no right path. And you can always change your path. You can always decide to do a different type of treatment. And, and so she wants to, I think, but that, but that comes, that's all wrapped up in a fear of life ending. That's end of suffering. And there's this stigma of suffering and this stigma of crises and things that happen in our world that our news makes so, I mean, really think about how much the media makes such a big deal out of all the stuff that is happening in our world to the nth degree because for the sake of entertainment, but it creates fear within us. And it's fear of, of dying. It's fear of sickness. It's fear of suffering and all these things, rather than us being able to explore those things, they tell us what we're supposed to believe about them. They tell us what the outcomes are supposed to believe. And, and when you're in it, though, you have to start shutting those voices off and you have to start asking for and seeking truth about what does this really mean? You know, did I do something wrong? Is there something more to this that's going on? Is there something about this that there's a lesson in? And so we've just been seeking those lessons and they're, they're not easy. And some days, you know, it's miserable and other days it's, it's, an incredible last night had an incredible joyful moment with her in terms of just talking about how how the, like every single experience my your health and my health represent health for her and and her sickness represents our own sickness when we start to get outside of our individual selves when we stop we stop being so narrowly focused on making sure i do every single thing right today that I get to do, no matter what, at all costs, I succeed, I will win, I will, all the things that, that we sometimes get focused on in the West, the very masculine energy, it, it loses sight of the nurturing side of the very feminine energy. And we need both of those things. And so she represents for us that nurturing side, which it, I am now living into the nurturing for her, caring for her. And that's not my gift, but I get to exercise that, which makes me a more whole human. 
And in that moment, when I'm healthy, she's able to highlight that and say, I'm so grateful for you and how you are currently expressing your health and, and your journey. And, and it's in that full picture that she doesn't feel alone, that she feels like she's being supported and that she feels, and I feel supported because I get to support her. And in, 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 it's that expression of, of our oneness as, as humans, that when we can begin to start unifying around the, the collective situation, then we grow into a more whole human being and a whole oneness, something beyond human being. It's where we start to be, begin to live life as part of creation and, and experience the full joys of it. Today's sponsor of the Eternal Optimist podcast is a good handshake. How about making a good first impression? How do you do that? It starts with eye contact. It then goes to a good handshake. Not a limp fish, not the death claw grip. A good, firm handshake with eye contact is a great way to make a great first impression. Make that good first impression today. Give a good handshake. Today's sponsor of the Eternal Optimist Podcast. Well, Les, you've gone, uh, as expected, you've gone super deep. I think we're way down here in the Marianas Trench. We're in the deepest waters known to humankind right now. Uh, I'd love to bring it back up. Let's, let's come back up to, uh, to, to the level just a little bit below the water. And I'd love to ask you about, as you're fighting all these challenges with, well, your wife's health, you said she had a stroke, uh, and now recently the cancer. How are you responding, reacting, leading as a parent? In this time, I mean, how do you keep up, you know, the face or the attitude when it comes to parenting your four children? I'm real. <laughs> I mean, when it sucks, it sucks. And when I make mistakes as a result of being caught up in my own emotion or my own feelings, it's an opportunity for me to to ask for forgiveness. And I I, I really do believe that we exist for the purposes of creating a world together where we have a saying that we exist to take the paintbrush of love colors of chaos and mixing them on the palette of life for the purpose of creating the masterpiece, P-E-A-C-E, that we we desire. And it's that essence of love and forgiveness that creates that compassionate opportunity. And the chaos is like the chaos as the colors is a real key to this. When we are having those chaotic moments, it's an opportunity for us to make something out of it not get stuck in it, not drown in the paint colors, but to really be able to find ways to create something new out of it. This is what nature does, right? It's like a seed falls from a tree and dies so that it can then create something else, another tree. And fire burns up things. And then in its place, it is the thing, the fertilizer for the next thing to grow. And that's the, that's what is nature. And we have it within us. We have that within us. I want to highlight something you just shared here for our audience. And I took a note here. When we're having chaos, make something of it. Uh, I love that. I think that that's, that's amazing. So whenever things are, are getting thrown at you 100 miles an hour and they're curveballs and it's, it's the most challenging thing or it's the easiest thing, whatever it is that's thrown at you, whatever chaos comes your way, make something of it. And, and, I'll, and so I'm going to get real about myself right now because I, I think that that's an important piece for me to be honest with is that I do speak very esoteric sometimes. I, I get it all the time. And it's it's honestly one of the things that has created this the deepest challenge and struggle for me. I'm not saying it in a special way. I, I've asked, I've begged God and source or whatever to remove the way that I think about life. <laughs> just make it simple. Like, let me just be a, a white 48-year-old middle-class male Republican or or liberal. I don't care. It, we can go either direction. Just just make it simple for me so that I can just cling to something. And and it, and it just doesn't work. 
and it puts me in a place where I feel I have felt alone. It is it has created trauma from me from a perspective of being in business with powerful men and women to uh, being someone who who really wants to push the limits of love and and open the doors to to everyone to just be loved. And I have often felt like I very alone in all that. And uh, some of my own traumas and the challenges that I faced, even with my wife, I mean, sometimes, you know, the way I see the world drives her insane because of the fact that everything is so, let me tell you a story and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I am learning to embrace this side of me in a way that has been challenging. And I think that there are a ton of people in our world who desire to be able to start to think outside of the boxes that they've been put in. And at the core of my being, that's what I want so desperately. And yet I also am afraid. I'm afraid of continually standing outside looking in on people who seemingly are happy and dressed right and look right and successful and and all these things and I'm afraid that I can't make a living doing it and I'm afraid that all like all those things still play out in my own mind. I mean th- this is the reason that I exist. That I exist for the purpose I believe of just of of showing people that they can be free to be who they are. And that means that the most limiting belief that someone may have it is true for them. And it is true for me too and others have have maybe seen a bigger picture and that that truth or that belief that some of us have uh, about whatever it is, is just a small piece of the picture. I just want to be able to help people expand that picture in such a way that they're starting to see more of life, experience more joy, not to get caught in the, the lines of dogma that simply say, if you are suffering, if you are poor, if you are broken, you know, if something's going on with you, you've done something wrong. I want to help people to see the chaos that they're feeling and and help them establish ways of creating the life that they want from that, because that is so valid and so important for all of our stories. You want to help them. Uh, You exist to show people they can be free. You want to help them see uh, that they can be free of this. They can be in chaos and be free of those shackles. What are you doing yourself to free yourself from this? Because it seems like something that you definitely struggle with yourself. How are you freeing yourself or what's the process you're using to work on freeing yourself, Wes? Well, curiosity continues to be my key for one. It is working with people and coaches and other plant-based substances that that I've done in the past. I'm just willing to go down any path that is available that is represented by love. Like the only, we'll call it law, dogma, if you will, is that it has to to be loving. It has to be with an intent of, of something bigger than myself and, and that, so if I, if I'm working with someone, I want to know that they are someone who's not just, I'm not just hiring them to, to fill their pocketbooks, but that they are, they recognize that they are in this for the greater good of all. When I can work with more people like that and I can start to ha- listen to other people's stories and our, the, the, literally the name of my company is Epic Fusion. It's where our stories become fused together. And when stories are fused together, when my suffering is fused with your suffering, my suffering feels lighter and energetically it puts off light, literal light. It helps other people begin to see their story as valid and good as a part of the greater story. And so when we can do that with one another, and would I do that for myself, it's knowing you. It's why I'm a part of Front Row Dads, because when I'm with you guys, all of the things that I've struggled with, where I'm at with my kids and being about to be an empty nester, it's in service to the greater good of Front Row Dads. It's allowing me to help other dads realize that this thing that they feel so chaotic about is an opportunity for them them to find incredible joy and love and grow closer to their kids rather than to start to create rules that try to manipulate and control the situation for their own, for, for them to feel like, oh, look, my kids are upstanding citizens. No, man, it's like, let's get this shit messy. Let's understand that life is just messy and it's fun in that, that state. I mean, there's a reason why we do things like the Tough mutter. 
<laughs> and run hard races and do stuff that, you know, where we get to just be playful and be kids because that's where, that's where the essence of life is for us. And so, yes, it feels like the environment you're creating or the environment you seek to create or be a part of with Epic Fusion, with Front Row Dads, with anything you're a part of is an environment where uh, curiosity is championed, uh, where we can come together and lay off any shackles of needing to, to be a certain way, look a certain way, uh, just be open, curious towards some vision, some purpose. And if the purpose is, say, it's Front Row Dads, or the purpose is, you know, how you serve people through Epic Fusion, it's when we're in alignment and purpose and we're open and curious, we can find love. We can find... That's it. Yeah. It's my, my commitment is to be transparent in that endeavor, is to say, it, it is to own the fact that I am esoteric and be proud of the fact that I bring that to the table, while at the same time being completely transparent about the fact that I'm struggling to do it, that it's messy, that I'm a, I have my own fears. But the way that I deal with my fears is that I go head into them. You know, we're going into a Front Row Dads event next week, right? And I'm already setting the intention. I mean, all the guys will not appreciate this if I literally do this, but to be completely naked, to be like, yeah, man, my life is a struggle right now to allow for the fact not to not to pretend like I am some sort of trauma free, you know, hero that's going to show up and save the day of anybody or what. But no, it's just that I'm going to contribute real life experiences to the fullness of the group that they're also going to be willing to do the same when the tendency is, as you know, we it's a powerful group of men to the, the tendency or the the. The temptation, I should say, is to put on a facade, to put on a, a mask that that allows a certain side of me to be seen so that others may look up to me or think of me a certain way so that I can achieve some goal or some outcome in my life that I think is important to me, the things that I'm clinging to. I want to go out like this. I want to be open for my ego to be challenged. I want to be open for my bullshit to be called out. I want to be, because I think it's then that I, f I can truly experience love, both giving it and receiving it, because there's nothing that you will ever find. You'll, you're never going to be able to look at me and it, when I run for uh, president one day, that's not going to happen and, and pull out a bunch of stuff and say, oh yeah, well you did this when you were, and you did this and you did this. I'm going to be like, I've always said I've done that. That's always been there. There's never been a moment that it hasn't been there. What else do you want to say? I'm I'm owning my stuff. What are you hiding? You know that you feel like you got to point it out. So that that is where I want to be in my life, not just with front row dads, but in every aspect of my life. And my suffering comes when I don't, when I'm not true to that. My suffering comes when I start to hold on to the things that I try to protect myself with. What I'm hearing is the the future vision, what you're creating in your life, what you seek to create in the lives of others is a place where they go head into their fears with openness, with curiosity, uh, and lay it all on the line and, and play all in. Uh, and when they do that, they have the chance to be authentic. They have a chance to find love. Uh, and that is where you know this duality, this joy, this sadness, you know, the left, right, whatever, whatever the duality is, that's where they can see that, they can embrace it, they can learn to love through it. Oh, and a quick uh, a service announcement, Front Row Dads retreats are not naked retreats. Just wanted you to know that everyone out there. Yeah, but back to it is that we are creating an environment where uh, openness, curiosity, that can help us get to a place of love. And that's how you deal head on with challenges and fears uh, is openness, curiosity, uh, and play all in. Yes. There's a statement that I, I heard recently that if you can name the problem, you already understand the solution. And I think that that's a real key to this is that when, when, I, when I go around and I hide my problem and I don't name it out loud, I'm actually denying any opportunity for myself to succeed at finding a new way to approach it. I actually am limiting my ability to, to come to new outcomes in this world. 
So I think that's a I think that's a really important key for any of us that are out there trying to make it in this life and 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 find ways to be successful. And because then we start to uncover other ideas about what success looks like. It becomes more of that relational aspect because it really, literally, it's only about me and you and other people that we surround ourselves with. It, that is the only way we ac- actually understand our existence. There, there is no existence without the rest. And until we can be free to be that, then the, there's there's no way for us to truly appreciate life. Well, let's name a problem then. Let's do one quick exercise, then we'll, we'll wrap up with our last question. If you can name the problem, you can understand the solution. Let's say the problem, for example, is I'm uh, a 48-year-old uh, husband with you know several children, and I have a wife who's been diagnosed with cancer uh, recently, and that whatever, whatever that is, that, that's, if that's the problem, right, is these life things, these challenges, then help me understand what's the solution. So in that moment, the solution comes down to um, there is there is nothing to fix. That that in this cancer, that the that the opportunity here is for me to love my wife unconditionally. That healing comes when I can help her understand she's not broken. That healing comes when it's not about the cancer at all, but it's about the state of her own resistance or uh, welcoming of all that life has. And, and, and I don't do that by telling her like that sucks. When I do that, it just it does not go well, does not go well. Yeah. It doesn't work well when we try to coach our, uh, our spouses, uh, public service announcement. Yes. But when I represent <laughs> an unconditional dedication and commitment to her, no matter what, when, when she is in the throes of this is awful, life sucks. I am angry. I'm mad that I hurt. I'm, and I just go in there and I can hug her and I can love on her and do so imperfectly. And then in return, when I have days where I am like, this sucks that this is what's going on with you. And I'm angry that we have to spend our time and energy around something that I just wish I could take on for you or whatever. And she can look at me, she goes, it's going to be okay. And we, and I love you for feeling that way, but it's going to be, that is where the solution is. It's not in, it's not even in seeing cancer as the problem. The problem is that I see cancer as a problem. That's the problem. The problem is that I begin to think that it shouldn't be here. And so when I can just begin to embrace that this is what it's supposed to be, and now how, do, how does love express itself in this particular moment at its best, then I become a part of something that's the greater good for not just, it's not about me. Because let's be honest, if I, why else would I not want cancer here? It's an inconvenience for me. I mean, more than anything, it's an inconvenience for me because this is the only way I know how to ex- express my world. It interferes with if she's not feeling good because of cancer, then guess what? My intimacy levels go down. Her anger or her sadness goes up, which means I have to be available for that. And that interferes with my plans. And I mean, like, but if I can just let go of all that, if I can be open-handed about it and just allow it to be, and then be responsive in the moment, then it begins to be something that is rewarding for both of us. And it allows us to now be experience love in a way that is whole and and I can't accept, I can't say, you know, when we talk about oneness in marriage, oneness in marriage is literally just that freedom to be able to love one another unconditionally, no matter what, to forgive and to allow the chaos to be the thing from which we birth new creation from. And I, I will go back to that probably for the rest of my life. It is such a key piece of, of life for us. And, and I, we have moments where we're like, yeah, I wish we could get rid of that. But I think in the, at the end of the day, with everything that we learn and everything that we come to and everything that all the things that we are growing in, we, like she's, she'll tell you, she would not want to go back and not have a stroke. What would we have, what would we lose without that? What would we be missing in our relationship with ourselves, with our kids, with our, with the world, if we were to let go? 
that brings up a great point. I mean, every challenge that happens is an opportunity for wherever we're at to evolve, uh, to be in the moment and be loving towards, you know, our people in the moment. Uh, I love the thought here, and I believe it's one of the tenets of, of modern psychology, you know, is this thing that, you know, learn to love and appreciate the things that you don't love, and they'll have no more power over you, and, and you can be present with them, and, and it's okay. And I love everything you've said. Uh, unless I'd love to, uh, speaking of love, uh, I'd love to uh, build a bridge here to our last question. And I know we can go on for hours because we have before and we already have today. And let's go to something very uh, specific and tangible. The last question I'd love to ask, I'd like to give you a, a runway on this one. Just let me, maybe we say, uh, you know, take a minute or a few uh, to think about and share. If there were a piece of advice you have to someone out there, someone who has a challenge that they have endured, they're overcoming, someone that who wants to create an exciting future, any piece of advice, any one specific piece of advice you love to offer, we'd love to listen. I think there are a lot of people who are really suffering today, who feel very alone in that suffering, who feel isolated, who feel like they're broken, like there's something wrong with them. And, and it's a lot of it because they, they've got this idea of what they are supposed to be, what life is supposed to be for them. And I think the question becomes is, how can you see your suffering in service to the rest of humanity? How can you begin to ask the questions of what teaching does our entire world need today that can be taught as a result of what you are going through with your own suffering? Because I think right there in that space is the place where your suffering becomes shared, not where you feel alone, because it's easy to get sucked inward on suffering and want to, you know, become reclusive and, and cover up and become dark and stay in the darkness. But, but we need that suffering. We need you to share that story because when, we, when your story becomes that, that a part of my story, energetically creates light for the rest of us to begin to find more hope, more joy, more life. And we get to surround you with that. So um, it's really about just in, how can you integrate your suffering into life so that we may be able to see the light in you through it. Wow. Awesome. Uh, you did not disappoint today. You went so many places today, all back to the theme uh, of love and, and being able to accept with, with an open heart and with a curious mind, whatever's happening right now, not as a problem, uh, but as an opportunity you know, to, to lean closer into the people we care about and, and to serve the world. And I love the message today. Les. It's one of the reasons I love you. Can you share uh, one last thought? I'm going to ask you to share how people might connect with you if they want to find you on any social media or website? How do people um, find out more about Les? Sure. Well, uh, first and foremost, you can email me. Don't put me on your spam emails if you're actually listening to this and like, oh, well, there's somebody else I can put on my list. Uh, no, email me. I, I mean, Les, which is with one S, at epicfusion.life. That's E-P-I-C, fusion, F-U-S-I-O-N, dot life. My website, which is about to launch here soon, is epicfusion.life as well. You can Check me out on um, all my social channels, which is less is more life or less is more dot life. Uh, Facebook, I got a page there, Instagram, all those things. Less is more, all with one S. I, I had to adopt the uh, affirmation of less is more to overcome being less in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's clever. I like that. I like that. Can you share with our audience one thing just came to mind? Can you share with our audience what does your license plate look like? Ah, it says my license plate. I can't, I can't show it to you, but it says love WNZ, which everybody goes, what does that mean? I go, love wins. There it is. So that when I'm honking at you and screaming at you and giving you the finger, you can look at my license plate and you can know that love wins. So love me so that you can overcome all things. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not too many people are screaming at you uh, oh, as, as you go by them in that big truck. I don't, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, 
that doesn't happen. Awesome. I'm, you know, love wins is the key. That's that is it for all of us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Les, for uh, taking the time to, to share with our team today. And uh, we love you much. Appreciated, and uh, look forward to seeing you at the retreat soon. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.